So welcome to Sacred Sauce Episode 3. Thank you for hanging in with me. Um, I wanted to start off with the, the Confucius say to begin with for this week. Um, this was written by a wise woman. And I thought that it uh, would really speak to, you know, you as a black woman. Um, so I'm going to read it. When we are quiet, we are threatening. When we are vocal, we are threatening. When we mind our own business and put our nose to the grindstone, we are threatening. When we are compliant, we are threatening. When we socialize, we are threatening. Just to be honest, there's nothing a black woman can do to make you feel at ease. So I choose to ignore what you want and move through this space in a way that's comfortable for me. Yeah, real talk, man. I love it. In other words, do you. <laughs> so in this episode, I discuss a letter penned by Solange to her teenage self. Then I speak to Kay Bly from Fifth Wall, who has a comic book company based in science fiction. My next guest is Laura Simpson, who has a tabletop game called Companions Tale and a game design studio called Sweet Potato Press. I love that name. And um, then I talked to Tanya DePass from a nonprofit organization called I Need Diverse Games. And then I end this episode with my thoughts on um, the assault on Zoa Stigler. I hope you enjoy. So I saw this article today and I thought that um, it was really interesting. It was by Teen Vogue, which, come on, I really ever read, but they've had some really good articles lately. And the title is, Solange wrote the most powerful letter to her teenage self. I can't imagine a world where you don't know who Solange Knowles is, but okay, I'll play. So Solange is the sister of Beyonce um, and she has made some fantastic music. Look, I'm a huge fan of Beyonce. I, I love her music, but Solange talks to me or speaks to me in a different way. She kind of speaks to my soul and I loved her latest album, A Seat at the Table. And my favorite song is Don't Touch My Hair. Uh, my second favorite, only by a little, is Cranes in the Sky. I can't imagine if you are a black woman that you haven't heard this song, but um, I'm going to play a little bit of Don't Touch My Hair um, so you get a good idea. Don't touch my hair When it's the feelings I where don't touch my soul when it's a rhythm I know 
I was jamming just a moment ago <laughs> just listening to this but um she did something really interesting and she wrote a letter to her teenage self and I've never thought about doing that but what would you say to your teenage self like what would you tell yourself that you wish you knew when you were a kid you know that you've learned over the years as an adult so I'm going to read um a couple of excerpts from the, from the poem, or not the poem, but the letter she wrote to herself. A letter to my teenage self by Solange Knowles. There will be fear. A lot of it. There will be triumph. A lot of it. There will be constellations you want to reach for but can't put your finger on. You will trace them like the scars on your body you got from trouble and the times of your life. You will take the long way to get to these Orions. The long way will become a theme in your life, but a journey you learn to love. Now, this is about her mother. You realize watching a woman balance being a supportive mother, building a successful business from the ground up that was started in her garage, and giving back to the community that will make you feel invincible. And like the word no is just an echo in the universe that you'll never know. You often take her for granted. But you know with every joint in your bones that she is a phenomenon and you strive to make her proud. You should thank her out loud more too. Tell her you value her. Roll your eyes and your necklace. It's not as cute as you think. Tell her you appreciate all that she does for she makes the impossible look effortless. She surrounds you with other black women who do the same. You study them and you will constantly think of all their stories, their beauty, their strife and their stride they break down all the archetypes and stereotypes that you see of black women on tv and in magazines so you don't trust those anymore you thank them for rewriting the script before it was ever etched in your memory you have a long life ahead of you and i'll tell you it's not gonna always be easy but i can promise you it will be fruitful and with much purpose all the bridges you've burned, you had to, so that you could rebuild them to become a stronger and more wonderful you. There will be pain. There will be doubt. There will be beauty. There will be the unknown. There will be so many moments of joy and delight that the whole universe will feel painted in hues of amber and wonder. There will be times you are so sad you can't lift your head. There will be times you're so happy that the sensation of life knocks you down. But most importantly, there will be you, a whole, whole lot of it. And you will feel good about who she is and who she is still becoming. I love that. I thought that was the word that um, Teen Vogue used was powerful. I thought that was the best depiction of this. 
So, you know, I just wanted to kind of pose that to you. Like, what would you say to your teenage self? What would you tell her so that she understood who you were and how to navigate life? I mean, none of us can do it, of course. But if you could, what would you say? Think about it. All right. So today I have joining me is Kay Bly from The Fifth Wall. And it is her company is a science fiction kind of slash horror based comic book company. Ma'am, are you there? Yes, I am. All right. Well, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited. Good, good, good. All right. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, name is Kay Bly. I uh, love writing. I love science fiction. I love all things horror. I am um, a huge nerd. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's kind of what made me want to do this myself. Because I've, I've always loved reading since I was very small. And I always kind of love like writing too. And I had some friends that I went to high school with and like, you know, like-minded nerds. And it's just like, you know, we would be talking about this idea of comic books for, for a while. And then it's just like one day it's just like, why not? Why not just, just go for it? Why not create our own? We're creative people. Um, you know, we love the same thing. Like we can do this. And so that's, that's kind of how it, it got started really. Okay. Okay. So what got you interested in comic books specifically? Um, one of my favorite cartoons was, um, X-Men, uh, Sorry to say, I, did, I didn't watch much of the, the very first one that came out. I was very into uh, the updated one, X-Men Evolution, which is still old now. But um, when Wait, X-Men is that Evolution... The one, is that the one with Nightcrawler? I'm trying yes. To that, yeah, okay. I remember that one. <laughs> that was like the updated one. That, that one came out like in the early 2000s, I believe. And I really, I really like got into that one. And... Um, it's like once you start watching something that's based off comic books, it's like then you have to go back and read because I was always the person who I actually read the books before movies come out. And I'm still mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. If it's a movie based on a book, chances are I've read the book first. But it was kind of the opposite with comics. I was in I was really in the X-Men evolution. And then I really got into this one series, which was um actually starring a black character, um, Static Shock. And it was kind of like the same arena of X-Men. And I also watched Spider-Man growing up. Um, I loved uh, Batman cartoon growing up. That was also one of my favorites. And I was like, I would watch all of these things. And then as I, I started to get older and you're like, you know, people are like, oh, they didn't do it right. Or, oh, they told this story wrong. And so that's when I'm like, let me go back and read some of this stuff. Let me go back and research some of this stuff. And then, you know, 
um, movies became updated, like they do an updated Batmans and they're, you know, started making new X-Men movies and new Spider-Man movies. And it's like you always want to go back and like read the comic book and and see, like, did they get the story accurate? Is this right? OK, I want to know what happens next before the next movie or the next cartoon comes out. Let me read the comic book first. And um, that's really how I, I got into it. OK. Yeah, I didn't get into comic books until I got older, which is funny. Yeah, yeah it was like my late teens. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, no, 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 no. I mean, like five years ago older (laughs) (laughs) it ain't been that long but i always watch the cartoons so yeah i feel you on that um for me i always read uh, a good example of books before movies is stephen king books i would read the books. oh definitely yeah so i feel you on that so tell me about your business concept um this is how our company, I got to break it down because we're like, okay, we have to figure out a way to explain it to everybody because it's, it's not as, as simple as, uh, we first started to put out stuff. And then like, we're slowly trying to add into more depth. Um, basically we've created a whole multiverse and within that multiverse, all of the people on the fifth wall team are investigative agents all of us have a character within this multiverse and all of our characters come together to form um this agency and we investigate um paranormal phenomenon um just different suspense stories and conspiracies that we hear about and the stories that we investigate that come out of this multiverse are the books that we come out with. So for every comic book that we come out with, it's like a story that we've investigated. Oh, okay. And do they kind of weave into each other? Yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's interesting. I like that. So I know that there is five of you. Am I right about that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. So how do each of you contribute to the fifth wall? Um, uh, one of me starting off, I'm pretty much like spearheaded the whole thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and along with my partners, um, John Watson and St. Reaper, um, it was us three that first came together. We all are um, from the same town, Dublin, Georgia, and we all went to school together. And all of us kind of like came together and we've been like working on this idea for years And we pretty much started the company from like us just texting each other, then getting a group chat. And then we're like conference chatting and working on stuff. So John Watson, me and him really kind of like it was us two. That's like we really got to do this. And he's also one of the writers. Um, He's going to have comic book series coming out soon. Uh, St. Reaper. He's our artist. Okay. He also, he actually has um, a comic book available. If you follow him on social media, it's a free read. You follow Saint Reaper on uh, Facebook or Instagram. It's called October Damned. It's pretty much like a biography of his life and it's a free read, but he's our artist. Um, Saint Reaper introduced us to KT who he went to, uh, college with 
Mm-hmm. And then he joined our team and he's also um, a writer slash artist. And then our last member who I went to college with, she's also from Dublin and she's the cousin of John Wat- uh, John Watson. Her name is um, Jade Astro. She joined our team um, recently, which was nice to have another female on the team. And like I said, I've, I've known her for years. Me and her went to Savannah State together. We were roommates. And like I said, she's the cousin of one of the other members. So she's always kind of like been around. And she always had these great, wonderful ideas for books and stories. And she's like like-minded in the same area of like science fiction and fantasy. And then one day John Watson was just like, you know, we need to like get her on the team. And she was completely down for it and excited. And she's also one of the writers. Okay. So let's talk about the black presence in the comic book industry. How do you feel about that? As the years come along, I I think we're doing better, but I really think we have a long ways to go. Um, Like I said, things are getting better um, with us being in the forefront. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, comic books like Black Panther and Luke Cage have been around for years, but they haven't been popularized. When you see the Black presence in popular stuff it's like well we're just one character out of many like with storm and x-man it's like we're just one out of everybody else and it's nice to see when we get to be in the forefront and get to be leading the story and like um you know just recently how luke cage came out it's just like okay now we're going to be in the forefront Now you see that we're not just somebody's friend and somebody's sidekick, you know, somebody an extra and in the background. We're actually, you know, leading in the story and Black Panther is coming out soon. So it's just like more of us being in the forefront of the comics instead of just being in in the background. It like gives us hope that we can be stories, too. We don't just have to be a part of the story the story can be based on us, our history, our background, our character, our powers. What can we do? Mm-hmm. And um, and I like how uh, Luke Cage um, has Misty Knight. Love her. She's a very good heroine. I can't wait to see more of her. She's not, I, you know, I, I, I hate to say this, but I don't like to see damsel in distress characters. I like to see that that female um, minority who's like kick ass. Oh, sure. That that she's like, you know, I don't need nobody to save me, but if you need help, call me. I got it. Right. Like how you see yourself. Exactly. <laughs> like, you know, exactly. Like yeah. very strong and, and empowered and that her presence is so powerful and encouraging. And um, also with The Walking Dead, Michonne, I like, I love her. She's one of my favorites. And because she's like, She's not a damsel in distress. She's like the heroine of the story. She's like one of the most powerful characters of The Walking Dead. And I love her for that. Her existence is strong. Like there's no negative connotations to her character. She's not like over-sexualized. She's not helpless. She's strong. She's she's a leader. Wait, you don't think they, they sexualized Michonne in that comic book? In the comic book? Yeah. They did in the comic but, book. She, she was, yeah, definitely in the yeah. comic book they did. But once they pulled her on TV, I'm glad yeah. that they pulled back 
from that. Yeah, and the TV version of Michonne uh, is a hundred percent better because I always yes. thought that they yes. they um she was really one dimensional in the Walking Dead comics. Yeah, she she was. She didn't have as many layers and depth as she does on the show. Mm-hmm. They they did her justice. Yeah, they did her right on that show. <laughs> they definitely did her right on the show. They really made her powerful. They made her a leader. They made her a character that all races admire, not just black women, but anybody that watches The Walking Dead is like she's equally matched for Rick. Yeah, and they him gave her love else. too. They gave her love. They didn't make her a character that exactly couldn't fall in love and and still like is strong and is hard and is badass as Michonne exactly. is. She still is a woman and she still wants to be loved and held and you know sit in that soft place too. So I love that part about her too. And then and then it's like and then they matched her up with a good person. Like, not that, you know, it's like, and then you hate to see when you have these strong black women characters and then, you know, the person that they fall in love with, their love interest is like not equally matched. It's like it'd be all wrong for them. And then it's like, then it drags them down a little bit because then they have that weak spot and then it, you know, it kind of detours them. But in The Walking Dead, they had her equally matched and that all the fans of the comic book and the show, we were happy that I'm the sorry, show gave us this that the comic book didn't this. give us. What do you mean you don't feel comfortable? Look, it was something that right was kind of like built into, and it's just like, well, you have such a strong sense. character. Like, totally she needs sense. to be with somebody equally but strong, equally brave, um, this is a better equally sorry, a leader. Hold on one second. Oh, there you go. I'm sorry. I had some sort of article going. I don't even know where it was at. All right, go ahead. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm 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 ready to see more of those. And I really hope in um the Black Panther movie comes out that we see some strong female leads in that as well. Okay. That it's not just, you know, a damsel in distress story and that somebody needs saving. Like I hope that there's some really strong fighter characters in there that equally match up to the Black Panther. So I'm real excited for that one to come out. Okay. Yeah, me too. I can't wait for Black Panther. I cannot wait for Black Panther. The blackness oh. on that screen. Uh. I've been waiting for this movie for years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. When I first heard that they were making it into a movie, I'm like, yes, I'm going to be there. When? Hurry up. <laughs> yeah, that movie is not going to be black. It's going to be Blizzak. And yes. I cannot wait. Yeah. Okay, so- it was great. Great casting. Great director. I, I expect great things from it. I don't think I'll be disappointed. No, no, I don't think so either. Um, okay, so let's talk about women of color in the pages of comic books. Like, I know you discussed Missy Knight. And of course, everybody always thinks of Storm. But what are some other characters that are black women or women of color that you want to shout out? Yeah, and there's uh <laughs> It's not that many. But... It's really it's really not that many. You really have to to dig deep and when you do it's like they're not they're still not in the forefront. You see what I'm saying? Mhm. Um like there's more uh X-Men 
that are of color, but um, you're not going to see them unless you're heavy in the pages of the comic book because they're not in the forefront yet. So it it's like I like when they, they sprinkle some of them in there, but it's like you want to see you want to see them come out more. You want to see them leading stuff. It's just like when you see you never want them to be just the friend or the person that dies first or the person that needs saving. And that's why you have to really look and search for them. And also what a lot of people don't know is within comic books, then you have like Japanese um, manga and some of those also will have some characters of color. Mm-hmm. So for those who like to watch anime, you know, I'm, I'm kind of one of those too. You can find, you know, some, some of us in the world of um, anime and uh, manga, which, you know, like uh, Soul Eater, um, Bleach is another one. Mm-hmm. So then so, really it's more, you're talking about more on the independent side of things, right? Like the major distributor distributors, excuse me, don't showcase black faces or brown faces as much, but the independents do. Mm-hmm. Okay. And actually Marvel is, which I'm, they announced it like a year or so ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was probably 2015 they were supposed to be coming out with a Fallon Gray series. Um, Fallon Gray is the daughter of Blade. She was supposed to have her own series, and I cannot find it. And I'm like, this was supposed to come out a couple of years ago. So I don't know if that's still in the works, if works on it have halted. But I was really excited for uh, Fallon Gray to get her own series because I love Blade. I've never even heard of that character. I have to keep yes. that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she she would have been one of the um our heroines that's in the forefront. Mm-hmm. So I'm, you know, I'm always looking to, you know, to see if it came out yet because I would like to, you know, have that comic. <laughs> oh yeah. Would like to read on that. And then I was hearing things like, you know, then they may have turned it into a show or they might make it into a movie. But whatever it is, I need them to make Fallon Gray happen for real. Oh, yeah. Because um, I think it was like it was announced at uh, Comic-Con that, you know, the Fallon Gray series was going to come out. And, you know, Blade fans were crazy about it because, of course, we want to hear more of his story. And then it's just like, what happened? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, a, that's a good question. I haven't even heard of uh, a Fallon Gray before. A Fallon Gray. I've never heard of Fallon mm-hmm. Gray before. So it would be really nice to have a comic book like that. I think mm-hmm. um, what I find when it comes to brown and black faces is we're always like the we're always interweaved into the story but we don't have our own story exactly and that's why stories like Fallon Gray would be so important because it, she's not going to be you know the only story she would be interweaved in would be her own father's and he is you know coming from a, a black comic book and then she would be in the forefront leading her own story this would be solely based on her life and I was really excited about that. And then it's like, what happened? <laughs> yeah. And and it's not like as if we wouldn't spend the money for it. At least exactly. I, I would think that we would. 
um, because we're so hungry for it. There's just no, mm-hmm. it's not out there at all. Like black women in comics are mm-hmm. very rare. So, um, but if you, but like if you do comics like uh, Saga or Rat Queens or um, Bitch Planet, all of them have black characters in them. But, um, but <laughs> yeah, oftentimes they're not the main character um, or the, you know, the one that's really, you know, brings your interest to reading the comics. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like she's the friend of the other person and <laughs> she's the fi- she's it's like, the you know, we have, or, yeah. you know, we have stories to tell too and you know to be on the forefront and this is that's that's another reason why i i got into it the comic book writing thing because i i felt like we we needed to be in the forefront because us as black people and black women we support an industry an industry that we don't have much of a reflection in And it's like, I would like to have that. We support the comic book genre. We we support science fiction and horror. You know, nerds come in all different shapes and sizes and colors. And we're supporting this industry. And I just want to see more of us in the industry. Yeah, reflected on the pages. Yes. Where can we see us at? And that's what made me want to get into this more. Um, my first series comic books is um, the two lost saga. Mm-hmm. It's uh, a four part mini series. Okay. And um, it's about this um, character who he's adopted. And it's like one day his whole world is like flipped upside down. And it's like he's forced to figure out who his family is and where he came from because people around him are dying. Um, He's being pursued like shapeshifters are after him. And he just like he's completely clueless. It's just like one day his world just got flipped upside down and he just like doesn't know what's happening. Why are these people chasing me? Um, I need to find my real family and I need to figure out what's going on. And some things start to unravel with him as well. He starts to, you know, notice that he has some some powers and some talents that he didn't know that he had before. And it's a suspense. Like, I don't want to, like, reveal too much because each story is like it's another layer and another layer. And if I, like, say too much, I, like completely give the story away (laughs) (laughs) it's like too much will give too much will give it away because it's it's so many layers wrapped in this story but it like it doesn't disappoint i have suspense in there it's like horror it's sci-fi it's martial arts it's superheroes it's like you got all of it and with um minority characters and where can people find that at? Amazon. You can download um, the first two issues, um, Two Lost and um, Two Lost Renaissance are on Amazon. They're both going to be on Comixology real soon. But right now you can download them from Amazon and they're only two ninety nine each. We also have 
Um, another comic book coming out within the next couple of months. It's called Nemesis Dawn. She is going to be the start of our whole fifth wall universe. Okay. So her story is pretty much going to explain how our whole multiverse got started. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what do you see as the future of, or what do you see for the future for black women in comic books? I feel like the more that we see ourselves and the more we see black people in comic books, um, movies based on comic books, TV shows based on comic books, people will feel inspired because sometimes people might get shut down because it's like, how can I be prolific in this field? And nobody supports it or we don't see ourselves. It can be very uninspiring to want to go after something that you don't think is attainable because you haven't seen it done. But I think the more we see ourselves in this genre, people will get inspired. People will say, oh, that's a black person that comes from a comic book and they have their own TV show. You know, I always thought about writing something like this or this seems so cool. You know, I had this story in my mind. It's like now they know it's possible. You can write this story. You can write this book. You can write this screenplay. Mm -hmm. You can go to you can go to a comic book store and you can see black people on the cover. And not be searching around and be like, dang, where are we at? You, I want it to be like the the more we have presence in the media, it will inspire people to seek these things out and to not feel like we're not a part of this genre. Because we are. It's just like it's difficult to find us. And then the content is not as up to par as we want it to be. But we're there. And I think. It's it's becoming a thing now and we're going to see more of it. It's going to be a growing industry. It's it's something that I think the future generation, they might not be as stuck as when when we were small. Like, I think they will be able to see it more and it not be like, where are we in this field? If I, I want it to be and I see it becoming as it's part of the norm to see black faces on comic books and black faces on screen and very inspiring for little girls to, to feel like they have a heroine to feel like, okay, on Halloween, you know, when the little boys are dressing as like Batman and Spider-Man and stuff, it's like, who can I be? And that they're going to have characters to relate to that they can dress up as for the black women who do cosplay at conventions. They're not going to have to search, you know, far and wide to okay who am I going to be in costume or who am I going to be that I don't have to change races for or be the black version of this character I want it to be that there's a plethora of black women in comic books and that you have choices now you have options now okay all right so let's go over some recommendations um I have two but my recommendations are in i first of all i love independent comic books i named some earlier that i read um but one of them that i like is called princeless have you ever heard of that one i haven't 
Princeless, um, and it's a little confusing because they have different versions of Princeless, but the Princeless I'm talking about is Princeless Volume 1. It's called Save Yourself, and Princeless is about this little black girl named Princess Adrian, and she's almost in a situation like Rapunzel where they put her up in a tower, and there's a dragon, and her father, you know, put her up there for her Mm -hmm. man or whatever to be rescued, but... Princess Adrian is over being rescued, and it really is the cutest story about a little black girl who uh, is wrecking shop all by herself. And so that's one of my recommendations. My other one is completely different. It's all the way on the other side. Uh, it's uh, an erotic webcomic, because why not? And it's called, it's on Tumblr, and it's called <laughs> If You Seek Amy. I love that comic. So, um, and that's, that involves a black woman as well. What are some of your recommendations? Um, <laughs> well, of course I would recommend my own books. Please of go course. out and get two lost, two lost Renaissance. <laughs> of course. Um, you will definitely see black women characters in these books and I guarantee you will not be disappointed. Um, my recommendation as, as, um, <laughs> Actually, it would be more of a a, a show, really, um, and and it's old school, but it's it's one that I really love, and I mentioned it um, earlier, and it's called um, Static Shock, mm-hmm. and that's it for people who love X Men, like I I do. I'm I'm a sucker for mutants and superpowers, but um, it came out. I want to say I was in high school. And they had a couple of seasons, but it's like a lot of people didn't know about it. But Static Shock is a it's a really good um, cartoon. It used to come on um, Cartoon Network and you could probably look it up on um, the different online uh, websites. And that's one I would actually like like to revisit now that I'm older. Hmm. Um Another actually a great place to find recommendations in all genres from black women. You can find books, movies, TV shows mm-hmm. is um, Graveyard Shift Sisters website. Okay. Everything black women in horror and sci-fi. I actually wrote um, a few uh, blog articles for her. So I really would like people to be on lookout. Like if there's ever... Uh, a doubt in your mind you need to uh you want to find a book or you want to watch a movie and you want to support other black women please go look at uh graveyard ship sisters website okay it it's it's a really great website and you would be surprised of all the things that you will find that black women have their hand in in the field of science fiction and horror like independent films and directors and art all these great things come from her website so um, please go visit Graveyard Shift Sisters. Okay. And. All right. So let's go ahead and, and give me give me some of your or give me your black woman shout out. Um, first of all, I want to shout out um, Jade Astral. Thank you for joining our fifth wall team. You are a great asset. Um, shout out to the rest of the fifth wall. But um, I appreciate Jade Astro for taking a chance because, you know, sci-fi and horror, 
you know, that that's a challenge to be in. And it's, you know, more black women want to lean towards, you know, urban fiction and drama and love stories. But, you know, you came on into this genre with us and became part of our team. And like you fit right in. You get us. You get where we want to head in the future. You get our material. You contribute a lot. Um, thank you for being part of our team. Um, shout out to Latanya Sampson and her show on Bid Chat, Live and Be Great. She did um, an interview with me um, a few months back uh, to discuss The Fifth Wall and our comic books. She's been a great supporter of um, The Fifth Wall. She always reposts and likes and shares um, everything we put on social media. She has a really great um, talk show on Bid Chat. It's very inspirational. Um, if you need to pick me up on um, Mondays and Fridays at six o'clock, please download the Bid Chat app or go online and log on to Bid Chat and um, watch her show. She is um, very intelligent very inspiring um, lady. She's actually one of my line sisters. I love her dearly. Um, her show is very inspirational for black women. Um, please go out and support her as well. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like we need to shout out each other more than yes. anything else. So. And her show, is, it, it's very good. She really discussed some really great issues going on with our community. Okay. And it's just a very positive vibe coming from her show. It's like you won't walk away from it feeling the same as you did before. Very uplifting. So is it, it's like a talk show or, mm -hmm. or is it a podcast or? It's, it's a online talk show. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. All right. So tell everybody how they can find you. Um, you can find the fifth wall on Facebook um, at uh, the fifth wall. We are on Instagram, the fifth wall and Twitter, the fifth wall. And when you use fifth wall, use Roman numeral five. So it's V T H W A L L. Please look up the fifth wall, Roman numeral five on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And um, our website is um, www.thefifthwall.com. Um, every art, uh, October, we have um, our annual party called uh, Arttober. It's in Atlanta, Georgia. It's um, usually around Halloween. We use that party to um, launch uh, our books and to feature art from our artist, St. Reaper, to dress up and just celebrate Halloween. Um, this year will be our third annual October. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a lot of fun. Um, thank you so much for having me on the show. I, um, I appreciate this interview and the exposure and I can't wait to hear um, more from this show. I love what you're doing and I'm going to, you know, definitely get the word out so people can know and hear about it. Cause this is going to be interesting and a nice learning experience for us. Uh, well, thank you. I really do appreciate that. You take care. All right. You too. Thank you. Hey, welcome back, guys. I have here with me um, Laura from a game studio. I'm sorry, a game design studio called Sweet Potato Press. Hi, Laura. Hi, Latoya. Hi, everyone. So welcome to the show. Now, Laura has a game. It's a tabletop game called um, Companion Tale that she wants to talk about. And so if I could, let's go ahead and start with uh, telling me about yourself. 
Sure. Um, so I'm a, a user experience designer, but I'm also a game designer as well. Um, Sweet Potato Press is a uh, um, a, a two-person game design studio where um, I'm half of that entity. <laughs> and um, what we do is we we write um, we write games for like our like to publish under our imprint, but also uh, we'll write supplements for other games out there. Um, we're all part of a larger indie game community, so. Um, we we tend to do a lot of writing for each other and um and just kind of publishing games that are um mostly analog mostly about kind of um using existing systems or developing our own to tell different types of uh stories or uh play out different types of uh game experiences okay so how long have you been in business Okay, so we'll see. I've had well, my partner he he published uh, he started publishing in two thousand nine, I think. Um, but we we just started doing our main publishing like last year in uh, two thousand sixteen um, when uh, he published a supplement for Space Hunters and I I published a a standalone. Uh, nano game. It's a nano live action role playing game um, called Driving to Reunion, and it was a part of a larger anthology uh, called Hashtag Feminism. And uh, that that one was uh, it was published in 2016, and it's going to get a um, do its second publishing uh, later this year through Helgrin Press. So yeah. It's it's kind of exciting, and um, we've been doing a lot of supplement writing over the last two years. Okay, so when I look at your um, game itself, companion, so I, of course I'm gonna yeah. need you to explain that to me. But um, what's the story behind companion cell? Like, what is the story of it? Oh, sure, sure. So um, I I tried my hand. At writing games before, um, and I, I was kind of frustrated with uh, mechanics and just trying to make something that uh, represented a, a type of story I wanted to tell, a type of uh, experience I wanted to have. Um, and Companion Sale, it was the second or third game I wrote, um, and I was deeply influenced, deeply influenced by uh, novelist uh, N.K. Jameson, um, Jameson, sorry. <clears throat> And she, 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 uh, she creates these lush worlds where there are people of color everywhere, and um, it's in. Um, but we, it's still fantasy. It's still, it's still these ideas of what type of um, of world it is, which is different than you know our modern present day world. Um, and uh, and I really was interested in other. Uh, influences such as games like Dragon Age. I was like, oh, this is one thing that's interesting about Dragon Age is that it again, it's like a, a really interesting, well-crafted world, um, but it doesn't it doesn't um, tie itself down with a lot of fantasy tropes that already exist out there. And I was interested in how I could 
kind of take these experiences and these inspirations and um, and actually try to uh, make a game that would kind of interface with those, but also um, be be able to kind of tell a different type of story instead of having uh, a damsel in distress or having a stereotype of who could who could be a hero. I want to really kind of shake that up. So with Companion's Tale, it's a storytelling game that's telling a story about a hero's journey, and um, it's all taken from the point of view of the companions of the hero. So the companions are actually the true heroes in, in gameplay, and the hero is uh, not played by any player. Instead, you have... Um, the hero is... You, you only know about the hero because the companions are telling stories about this person. So it's in a way, it's um, it kind of takes away the idea of a hero being a certain person and puts it in the hands of the people playing, That's and they're able to build that up. Okay, cool. So, uh, what are the names of the companions? Oh, okay. So one one thing that um, I did as part of design um, was for when a when a player wants to play a role of a companion they they look at these different archetypes like maybe it's a person like who's known as an oracle or a uh someone that the hero rescued so um they're labeled as the rescue they're list so they're listed as archetypes like lover mentor uh nemesis rival those sort of things so they don't have a specific name and that's important because so when players choose a card to decide, okay, I'm going to be this type of companion, and then they choose a theme card to decide what type of story they're going to tell. Maybe they're going to tell a story about um, about rebellion or tell a story about love, that sort of stuff. So they choose their companion, they choose what type of story they, they're going to tell, and kind of the important aspect of not assigning a name is that there are these space cards that are illustrated that the players draw blind. They just, they just draw it from the top of the deck, and so if rather than giving someone a name you're you're calling them by their archetype and then you're su- you're kind of surprised by who your face is so instead of if you are choosing for example um you're choosing the lover and a lot of people get their ideas of what they think a lover should be for a hero especially if this could be an epic story right, right. um mm-hmm. and uh by choosing a different face it really kind of uh disrupts that and then it, 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 it disrupts the idea of, oh, the lover has to look like a certain way. Mm-hmm. And even more so, it's a, it kind of makes a statement of, hey, so I, I, a lot of like media, like movies, TV shows, books, assigned only certain people the role of someone that could be a lover. Well, what if you had like a middle-aged guy? I mean, somebody loves him, right? right. It's not like there's a... <laughs> So um uh with uh with these with all of these in mind it, it kind of creates a different type of person each time you play. Got it. Got it. So explain the game itself. Sure. I'm gonna let you do that, okay? Okay. <laughs> so um kind of like a like um like a movie, you would have a prologue where you kind of set up what the world's about. Um you have three acts of actual like storytelling and things happening. And then you have an epilogue where you kind of wrap everything up. So uh, with this game, you have, 
you have several decks of cards, you have a big piece of paper, and because that's important because you're going to take turns drawing with everyone at the table. You don't have to be like a, a Picasso or anything, but because you're just, it's all about everyone contributing to the story and, and keeping track of what's going on, and they're just adding it to this map. And it's a, it's not just topological, but it's also it's people moving places, or it might be cultural things that happen at a place. So you start your prologue, and every single person at the table. So it's it's the the main game is for four people. You answer a question about the world, and you draw your response, and then you get to actually telling stories. So you have three acts of telling uh, these stories, and you go around taking turns being a companion, being someone that observes something somewhere else in the world, being someone that adds some culture, and taking turns being somebody that listens and interprets what people say and put it on the map. So everyone gets a turn to be these different roles, and you tell a little bit of a story of, like, how did the hero come to be? Oh, okay, when when did a hero start becoming really heroic? When What happened when they interacted with all these different people? Um... And uh, you keep telling this type of story. You add historical events in. You might have a little gossip session where you talk about each other's companions, and that's always fun. It just kind of it, it kind of takes off a lot of like tension if you have like a very serious story going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do that for the first act, the second act, and then at the third act, usually there's some type of resolution of. Uh, you know, the hero fights the dragon, the hero fights a great evil, or um, like society entirely changes. And then for the epilogues, what you do is um, the players each look at their companions, so throughout gameplay, you'll get uh, two companions. And you tell a, um, for each one, you tell a story of how the that companion last saw the hero. So it, it centers on those companions, so they, they get a chance to talk about um, their last experience uh, with the with the hero, and everyone gets a turn. So it's really one of those things where uh, you're all contributing. It's not one person <laughs> telling a story, um, and that closes out the game. So uh, usually at the end, you have uh, you have oh, everyone has campaigns that they think that they kind of know information about, and they have this map that like that's that just um, covers their entire story and it it all gets wrapped up in a amount of time that you could see a movie like about two and a half hours mm. with breaks and things it sounds like it's a lot of fun i see the um the graphics from it um <clears throat> from the game itself yeah um i've got this amazing illustrator daphne hutchison who uh she's been drawing all the portraits um and i've uh, with art directing all that, I really uh, was looking for someone who I knew would be able to draw uh, people of different ethnicities because it's really uh, valuable to be able to show that, that there's an intersection of different people that can be told in this story because uh, in my experience of gaming, it, it has a bit of a deficit of that. Oh, yeah, in, in life, really. So, yeah, you are exactly right. <laughs> yeah. So this game is for four people, mm-hmm. right? And then it is about two and a half hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that sounds like, you know, like a game of Uno would take or. 
<laughs> Phase Ten, which is one of my favorite games of all time. Yeah, sounds like it's a lot of fun. Um, so tell me about your Kickstarter that you had. It looks like it was really successful. Yeah. So um, I so we we put together a Kickstarter so that we could cover um, finishing all the illustration and doing layout, also doing printing, so we could print it um, at a larger scale and maybe get into a few stores. Um, a big part of that, uh, uh, doing Kickstarter, we, we want to, we want to reach out to fans and we really want to, uh, see if anyone else would be really interested in this sort of game. Um, we also created some stretch goals because we thought there would be some cool concepts that we wanted to be able to, uh, add and expand upon. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those, uh, one of those aspects was expanding the number of players for the game because we know not everyone is, you know, sometimes you're hanging with your friends and it's you and you have four friends and you don't want to say, oh, you can't play, right? So um, we looked at ways that we could increase the number of people that played the game. Oh. So we made that a stretch goal. Okay. And, yeah, and we, we wrote some additional background um, because we want to offer... Uh, additional scenarios, additional opportunities for people. Um, and a big part of that, we wanted to also show people playing. So that, the, when we were making the video, we were like, okay, let's let's play out different sections of it. And just kind of, uh, we had a very fun and just um, uh, session where we just kind of, we were playing out different parts of the game and also uh, a lot of things emerged out of that. So, uh Getting the game ready for Kickstarter was really an adventure. Well, I have the video here. I can go ahead and play okay. it. And you're not going to be able to hear it very well um, on your end, I don't think. Um, but I can go ahead and play the video so that people can get a good understanding of what the Companion Still game is. Yeah, um, sure. Now, I do have a question for you before I do that. Can that mm-hmm. game be played with only two people or do you have to have four? So we made, we're making, right, right now, we made the, the stretch goal for it. We're making a, um, a version for two players because, um, often I've played games where it's just me and one other person and we've, we've spent time hacking it so that we could play with two players. So there will be a two player variant included in the game. Okay. So I'm going to add that to the end of the video. The, um, I'm sorry, to the end of the podcast. I'm going to add the video so that um, people can actually hear what's going on. Um, tell me about your goals for the future. Now, I know that your your um, Kickstarter was really successful. So where do you see yourself heading in the future with this business? Um, so uh, we're also going to open pre-orders so that people who missed the Kickstarter can pre-order. Uh, so that that's in progress. We're also – so right now – we're, we'll have this later this year release. We'll have it also in um, a few game stores, and we're looking towards getting like having a bit of a long tail of uh, selling in stores, selling online, um, and probably hitting a few conventions in the latter half of 2017. Oh, good. 2018, yeah. So it's <laughs> we'll be a little bit on the road. Um, I also have um, we have other games that we're working on as well. Uh, there's one called Love Commander. It's a 
it's like it's like if you are playing a RPG that has a part where you romance other players mm-hmm. and it's all about uh, uh kind of trying to romance other players and, and and choose who you think you would be in love with at the end. So that it's fun. It's um that one that game I think plays in I think it plays in roughly thirty minutes to an hour. So okay. it, it's 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 really like fast paced and um a lot of people are uh talking and it's really uh it's really active people have a lot of fun playing it. So that one is probably going to be our next release. And uh, I'm probably going to be working on another game to start the developmental cycle over again. So, you know, it sounds like the type of skills you have can be transferred to a lot of different things. Why did you decide to go into games? Oh, so that's that's a great question. (laughs) Um, uh, So I started out... um, I, I played games a lot for a long time, but uh, I started out trying to be an artist, and I didn't really have a community for like doing uh, kind of exchanging ideas or working together uh, at the time, and it was really frustrating, right? Um, because I, a lot, you know, people are fairly social, and it's it's really nice to be able to talk to other people, bounce ideas off of them, and just kind of grow that way. Interesting, um, and. Uh, I wound up studying design at one point, mm-hmm. and I, my full-time job is design, okay. but like doing user experience design, product design. Um, but there's a huge game community here in New York that I got plugged into, and it was one of those things where I'm like, oh, I, I play games for fun, but I didn't really think about making them for uh, especially not for other people to buy. Um, but if it, it, there's a really active independent game design community here where I could talk to people, I could get people to play test the game. Um, I could talk to people who are in, who know how to get games published. So that's been monumental that being able to get plugged in uh, is such a important part of being able to do this project and to continue ga- designing games. Yeah, it sounds like as if you were in the right place for you to say yes. that. that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. I think that um it's really nice to see black women just achieving and killing the game in areas that you just don't normally see us. Now, when it comes to the type of games that you're you're involved in and you said you're in the gaming community, do you see a lot of us in there? I, I wish I saw more. I, um, it's it's you know it, it's one of those things where there's a lot of there's a lot to overcome, right? Um, I at really big conventions I'll see like a fair number of us, like you know, uh, like we're talking about PAX East and uh, games game conventions of that size, uh, but smaller conventions not as much. Um, uh, in terms of designing games, you really, you really need some, like a supportive network for that sort of thing. Not that you can't do it by yourself, but if you want to get lots of good feedback, get information on how to actually get it published, how like how to do uh, timelines and things like that, um, and also meet people that would be able to uh, basically put you on. Um, it's 
it's one of those things where having a community is super important. Um, I think that there have been efforts to uh, reach out more, mm-hmm. but it, it's one of those things where I, I'm of I'm of the opinion that there are black women gamers out there, and but there's a lot of not so great conventions. So you know, you you try to make an attempt to to go and meet people or do something, and they just you have like negative experiences and. Then you start feeling like I don't need to pay. <laughs> I don't need to pay money to go and uh, feel bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there's some places that are really making attempts to uh, make a better environment, make it less um, uh, unwelcoming. Sure. So it's it's improving, but it's I really would love to see a lot more black women gamers out there. I feel like uh, there are lots of people out there on the internet. It's hard to get us all in one place. Got it. So from what I understand that what from what I understand that you are saying mm-hmm. did I say that right? From what you are saying, I am to understand. There we go. That <laughs> <laughs> um the first thing that you need to have is a community that you can get involved in. Yeah. What? Like it, having having other people around. So let's say you have an idea for a game. They could help you find resources. They could they they might know other games that you could look at in reference. Um, and it's it's nice having people because you that increases the knowledge pool that you have, but also people that can help you look at things and and refine your designs. Sure. Um, then. Uh, also, it's it's helpful because they'll probably have some experience, or they have someone that they can hook you up with right. to um, to just find out about a lot of the nitty gritty. Like when it comes down to running like, this Kickstarter, there's so much nitty gritty to it that you it's really helpful to have people that um, that have knowledge or are willing to like uh, to, to signal boost um, or even who could just when you're having a tough time with it to say, Hey, it's going to be all right. That's so important. So valuable. Okay. So, Oh yeah. Okay. So, um, my next question for you is, okay. So if the first step is to have a community, what is the second step? Like what, what is, what would you tell people? What would you recommend for people to do if they want to get into um, this type of business? Um, so one, once you have your community, like you're, you're going to want to, you're going to want to start seeing things. Um, I think that you would need to, uh, like, so you, you've got people around you. So I would start making things, go to things, uh, talk to them and see if you can get feedback and just kind of start that that dialogue, that that conversation of how I can make a design, and then um, then I could get that feedback and iterate. And you, you're going to need perseverance because uh, the first thing you make is probably not going to make you very happy. So you're just going to keep iterating. So that I would say after you've found people that you can plug into, like just make things and ask them about what they think and just kind of get that iterative process going. So 
So just put it out there, in other words. Yeah, yeah. And don't, like, um, like put put your work out there, put yourself out there. It's mm-hmm. And it's scary, because yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty, like, I'm like a homebody in some ways. But it's it's really important to, and it's, it's one of those things where even if it's not perfect, you can, there's um, a game testing convention that I went to uh, with this game. Like basically it was like nurtured at this convention called Metatopia and it's in uh, Morristown, New Jersey. So, you know, I take New Jersey transit out there and it's all about play testing and getting feedback, but also you meet people, you meet tons of game designers, you meet people who are interested in um, giving feedback to games and, and there's a lot of um, talks and things that you could learn from going to them. And it's one of those, um, it's one of those events where um, the the people that run that convention they started a kind of like a, a support group for people who are really new to uh, game design and putting themselves out there. And that's really helpful. So getting yourself plugged into the community and, and just starting to make things and get used to the idea of, okay, I'm going to make something and somebody will look at it and I'll get some feedback. And it will just kind of be that kind of back and forth iterative flow is really important. So everyone, what you're getting is a live listen to Queens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry. No, don't like, apologize. I love it. it. Okay, no, they're so disrespectful sometimes. <laughs> like my furniture's vibrating. They are getting it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right. So we talked about this a little bit earlier. I need to get your black woman shout out from you. Yes. Yes, you yes. Okay. So uh, Julia Bond Ellenbow is a uh, she is a game designer who um, has, in many ways, she's she, she's kind of like paved the road on, on which I, I think I walk on. Oh. It's, she, um, she's, she's written widely. She is, um, she's tackled much tougher subject matter than I've ever ta- tackled. Um, one of the games that she's really well known for is Steal Away Jordan. And it's, it, it's, it's a, it's a tense game it's a excuse me um it is it is a game that is about um it's a it's about um slavery it's like it talks about really like tough subject matter but she's she's uh just because she's in many ways she's just like yeah this is this is what we're gonna do and when when you make games sometimes it's not it's not about fun subject matter sometimes it's just like we're talking about some serious stuff mm-hmm. and I'm going to make a system that that basically negotiates how you are gonna talk about the serious stuff and um in many ways like when I look at her work she's she really captures a lot of um uh she, I feel like she breaks new ground, and gotcha. she's gotcha. not afraid to to try something that is difficult. And she's been in, like in the game community, like with other people, much longer, and has like handled it so much better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I really look up to her. Okay, well, thank you. I know that I have a black woman shout out. It is for Izzy and Bell. 
and the website is uh, izzyandbell.com. So that's spelled I-Z-Z-I-A-N-D-B-E-L-L-E.com. Now, this person was submitted by Asa Todd. She was another black woman that we've had on Secret Sauce. And Izzy Bell is a talented uh, baby clothing um, maker. And she's from Nigeria. And if you go to the website, she's got some beautiful clothes for the babies. And um, she's got different sections from little and new to terrific twos to three nagers and fantastic fours, which alone, the names alone are giving me life. But um, she's she's got some really, really beautiful things for the babes. Um, so any new mom or if anyone's looking for a, um, a gift for someone, I think this would be a great site to check out. And it is, of course, it is done by a black woman. And so, yeah, we've got to support each other and I love what she's doing right now. So was there anything else that you wanted to add? Um, no, like it, it, I really am glad that I got a chance to talk with you today. Um, I'm really excited for where Train Sales going to go, and we'll um, from our Kickstarter page, we'll have a link for uh, pre-sales. Uh, if you are interested in the game, you can get a copy via our Kickstarter site. Wonderful. Now, tell people how they can get in touch with you, and how sure. they can get a, how they can get a copy of Companion's Tale. Okay, so we'll have a pre-sale link uh, via our Kickstarter site. So uh, also uh, we'll also have links via our website, sweeptatopress.com, where you can get more information, sign up for our newsletter, or um, buy copies of our existing games. Um, And uh, if you want direct contact, you can contact me via the contact page on sweettailpress.com, and I'll email you back. Um, if you're interested in, you know, coming to game conventions in the Northeast or uh, getting your start as a black woman uh, game designer, hit me up, and uh, I'll tell you everything about what I've done so far to get where I am. Oh, wow. Thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. Yeah, so, are you yeah. planning on going to Awesome Con? Um, no, not not this year. Um, I think uh, we'll probably expand a lot more once we've got games in hand. Okay. Well, good. Yeah. Let me play your video, and then we'll sign off. Give me one second. Okay. Thanks. Oh, yeah. Companion's Tale is a map-making story game that tells the story of the hero's journey from the point of view of the hero's companions. Players take turns building the world, telling stories of the companions, and drawing the map of the story. No one player portrays the hero. Instead, they are revealed through the companion's stories. This game is inspired by Avery McDonald's The Quiet Year, Bioware's Dragon Age, N.K. Jameson's Inheritance Trilogy, and Patrick Rothfuss's Kingkiller Trilogy. Companion's Tale takes two and a half hours to play with four players. It contains engaging game roles that the players share during gameplay. 
For the cartographer, players take turns drawing story elements onto a shared map. The companion tells a story using theme cards, a selected companion card, and a randomly drawn face card. Witnesses move the story forward by adding details to existing events on the map. Lorekeepers add culture to the game world. Historians take turns adding historical events, and biographers tell amusing tales about other companions. This game has been designed, tested, and developed over the last three years. With your help, I can bring this game to life. Every time you play, a different story is told. Different companions, different worlds. Play Companion's Tale and find out who is your hero. I love the fact, so that video just played, what a great video. I love the fact that it, that with Companion's Tale, you can always have a different game or a different story. And I think that's really cool, so... Yeah, it's one of those things I really want to have in terms of uh, replayability. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like the idea of uh, because there's so many different types of uh, companions and so many different faces, you could it could be just different because of how everything matches up and how people uh, begin the story. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. It was such a pleasure for you to have me on. I, I had such a great time. Oh, thank you. It was my pleasure to have you. You have a good day. Thank you. You too. So my guest for today is Tanya DePass, and she's from a website called INeedDiverseGames.org. And their motto is, because there's room for everyone at the table. Tanya, are you there? I am. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. So I found your website really interesting, um, especially with the conversations about diversity in games and comic books and such. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, So I'm a Chicago native, and the reason that INeedDiverseGames.org exists is because I was legit angry about games a couple years ago, 6 in the morning. And it was around the time that the whole It's Too Hard to Animate Women, we were inches from having playable women, and a few games was kind of going around. And I threw the hashtag onto some tweets about being tired of not seeing myself reflected in the media that I love. And it got picked up. Um, Mickey Kendall, who is known on the internet as Carnathia, retweeted me. And with her presence, a lot of it got to got to other eyes. And from there, the conversation just kind of took a life of its own, uh, got its own Twitter account, got its own blog, and, you know, it got the right attention at the right time, and I got to talk to folks about it, got interviewed, went on some podcasts, then started doing a lot more panels, and from there, it's like, wait, well, this work is, is apparently something people are interested in, so decided to start a community, we stream, we we have community members who provide articles for us go to conventions, we're part of the PAX Diversity Lounge, and we also are part of the GDC Scholarship Program, which helps people get to the Game Developers Conference. So there, there's a lot that came out of a few angry tweets about three years ago. Tweets? Really? That's kind of yep. cool how it all started from a tweet. A lot of things in our community have started from a tweet. As mm-hmm. much as we, um, as much as there are problems on Twitter, Twitter has done a lot for our community. 
So tell me a little bit about your business itself. Uh, well, we're a nonprofit organization, we're 501c3. And what we do is everything from streaming to helping people go to conventions. So like I said, we are part of the GDC scholarship program. So for those that don't know, the Game Developers Conference is like the professional event that happens every year in San Francisco in early spring. And we get to provide 25 all-access passes, which is like a $1,600 value to people who want to go into the industry, might already be in the industry, but not yet really senior. Um, we also collaborate with GamerX, which is an LGBT-focused gaming convention held both in New York, Australia, and California. Um, I'm their diversity liaison because of the work of providing diverse games. And, you know, we try to give people a voice that don't normally get a chance to talk about issues. You know, a lot of gaming sites talk about um, graphics and gameplay and everything else, but they don't always delve into the other issues about race and things like that. I will I will give props to uh, Waypoint and Austin Walker and his crew over there because they do such a phenomenal job of touching on those topics. And, you know, we want to give people a chance to to discuss these things in an arena that's safe. Um, we often stream games and talk about them and, you know, kind of what they do right, what they do wrong in terms of diversity. We're streaming um, Horizon Zero Dawn currently, taking a little bit of a break for all my travels. But, you know, these are things we do. We're, we're trying to engage the community and give them a place to be safe and to talk about these issues, but also be kind of a hub for them and for people that either want to be in the industry, get in the industry, or stay in the industry because rate of attrition is also a thing that happens with marginalized folks in the games community. Okay. So I know that you said this all started because you were um, looking for yourself to be reflected in games. Are we talking mm-hmm. about video games? I'm both video games and tabletop. You know, tabletop okay. actually has kind of a worse issue with diversity than, than video games, if you can believe it. Because um, there was an article that went around a couple of years ago about the white male terrorist problem in tabletop and a lot of tabletop spaces are primarily white dudes and older white dudes who see no problem with things the way they are and, you know, it's in his role playing. Mm-hmm. So they don't think about, you know, they don't think about the fact that, you know, maybe having a slave class in an RPG is not an okay thing. Mm-hmm. Or they don't think about, you know, the people at their table or just they aren't welcoming. You know, there's there's game stores all over Chicago that I will not go in because I go in and I don't see anyone who looks like me. And a lot of the stores aren't on the south side that I know of. You know, I moved from the south side, but when I lived over there, it was an odyssey to try to get up north or go into places that did have the kind of, you know, RPG stuff or video game things that I wanted to, to explore as a teenager. And, you know, it's it's about, you know, like, what I'm playing, what I'm doing, and also who's creating, because, you know, you don't get to see a lot of people of color when it comes to things like E3 and PAX and, you know, who's presenting games when when they're released and all these announcements. It's always the same scurfy white dude. Yeah. Yeah, I get your feeling about going into places like that. I've been in uh, comic book shops where I walk in, it's like the record scratched, and mm-hmm. it's looking directly at me like, why are you here? Yeah. And it feels really uncomfortable um finding comic books that match my tastes like say i was looking for uh, miss marvel and it's behind 14 other comic books Mm -hmm. yeah 
trust me, I understand totally what you're saying. So to kind of piggyback on that, you're saying, I know that you're talking about women of color or people of color, really. Mm-hmm. I'm to assume then that there's not a lot of black women in this industry. Is that right? Um, not a lot. I mean, I'm lucky to know uh, quite a few of them. There's, and I'm going to blank on her name, but um, there was someone I met who worked on Mafia 3 over 2K Games and Hangar 13. And there's a lot more black women academics that I've found, other than like the four black women I could name that I know of, where it's like, we're we're the same, we keep running into the same circles because we're all in the same kind of place. Um, there's Toya K. Finley, who's an amazing narrative designer, Shanae Bryant um, over at Microsoft. And there's not a lot of other black women that I can name. Um, Jerry Lawson's daughters now get more involved in the industry. So, you know, there's not a, total, a lot of people that I could just rattle off their names. And that's really shameful. So are you saying there's only four that you know of? Did you really say that number? Um, yeah, there's also Cat uh, Small over okay. at Brooklyn Gamery. So, you know, and I should say these are like well-known. Like if someone mentions black women in gaming, they're going to be the folks who come to mind immediately mm-hmm. um you know and these are people making games i'm kind of on this weird periphery of i'm i'm in the industry but i don't make games and um but there's not a lot of visibility or there could be a lot more but we're not getting seeing them present and accounted for when it comes to things like you know presentations at e3 you know they keep bringing out aisha tyler for ubisoft every year at e3 mm. but but you know she's not making games right She's a great spokesperson for Ubi, but she's not making them. Sure. Okay. So how long have you been doing this in particular, working on I Need Diverse Games? Um, In October of this year, it'll be three years. Okay. So in the three years that you've been in this industry, have you seen us reflected more in games or is it about the same when you first started? Um, It's improved. You know, we, we have had Mafia 3 and we've had... Watch Dogs 2 both have black male protagonists, mm-hmm. but we're not seeing a lot of black women in games. We're not seeing a lot of black women highlighted in media beyond like what Ava DuVernay is doing and Shonda Rhimes are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's getting better, but it's getting better in, in very small steps. And I would love to see more prominent black women. I would love to see a game with a, with a black female lead. And, you know, we know what's going to happen. It's going to be the usual hate bros that show up and force and talk about SJW agendas, but I've been playing games as long as some of those dudes have been alive. I should I should be able to go into a store and pick up a game with someone like me on the cover and not have it be a fight. Exactly. I like I don't understand why there's a fight for that. You're talking about just a game or two or seven. And when they right. have thousands of games out there that reflect them. Exactly. Um, so I know this may seem um, kind of redundant but I feel like we really need to have that discussion especially with you on, on the line what are your thoughts about diversity I mean clearly you want diverse games because that is the name of your organization but what is your thoughts about diversity now and in the future and why it is so important for all of us to um, invest or to um, work towards having more diversity in games we need more diversity, and you know, also we need to get away from diversity being a buzzword, because people hear diversity and they roll their eyes and they start thinking about checkboxes and things they have to do to, to satisfy this supposed quota that they imagine hovering over their heads. We need to keep it with diversity and inclusion, because 
diversity for the sake of diversity and cramming things in isn't actually being diverse. It's not thinking about the greater world out there and thinking about who's actually using a product, what the world actually looks like. Um, we need to bring people to the table that are involved in these issues that are, you know, that are affected by it. Because um, the other day I was talking about this on Twitter where, you know, a lot of diversity-led initiatives are led by white people and it's, you know, they mean well. However, you can't move forward when you exclude the very people you're supposed to be helping. And there's a lot of, well, we need to be aware of diversity. And it's like, have you not gone outside? Do you not know anybody other than like people like yourselves? And we need to also realize that while you need to include people of color, LGBT folks, non-binary um, folks with mental health issues, that you cannot then put all the burden of the work on them. So it needs to be a, we're going to listen to you and do the things you suggest, or at least hear your suggestions, and whatever's feasible, whatever's possible, and also back you with resources and funding, because a lot of these times, when there are initiatives led by people of color, LGBT folks, the money doesn't always follow. But yet you'll see things like, oh, someone did a Kickstarter for a rainbow plush elephant, and it got overfunded, and the money wasn't even going to an LGBT organization. You know, because they want to make people aware of diversity. I'm like, again, have you not gone outside? Have you not read a book? Have you not gone beyond your neighborhood and met people besides you? Um, I have hope that it will get better. Um, but it's hard because, we're, you know, we're currently seeing a backslide of of hatred and racism and Islamophobia and things in our in our country. And it's hard to see that kind of become normalized and see the things that our parents and grandparents fought against become okay in the public vernacular again. So I'm hoping we can get away from this. We can get away from the vitriol and, and back and back to where we sort of words like, you know, I I'm human. I get to exist. And you know, my money's just as green as yours. And the mercenary view of it is you are also leaving money on the table. You are forgetting that people want to see themselves reflected because I would have never picked up Mafia 3 if, I had, if it not had a black dude in it. Um, wouldn't have cared about Watch Dogs 2 that much if it had not been a black person in it that I could relate to because I'm a big nerd. And not try to take the forefront, not try to lead the charge because they mean well, because then you basically have run over the very people you're supposed to be helping. Okay. All right. I like that. So for your company, what are your goals yeah. in particular? Um, like you work for an organization that's looking for diverse games and mm -hmm. what are your goals as the organization? Um, well, our, well, as, as the founder and director, the goal is to empower people to get in the industry, mm -hmm. to be that resource hub for them, help them help themselves. Um, but all, but everyone needs a place to start. You can't just go here, here are your imaginary bootstraps. Um, so things like being in the GC scholarship program, um, getting passes from conventions, being able to redistribute them to the community and go, Hey, maybe we can't give you airfare or anything, or we can give you a little bit of a stipend, but here's a pass to, let's say, packs or ultra conference or something like that. So our goal is to become that resource hub for people 
Um, I'd love to have a physical location eventually so we can have workshops, we can do things and have a place for people to gather. Because I do get asked, like, are you... Um, and the goal will be to eventually, you know, get it to a point where it's it's self-sustaining. We can have staff. Wait, Tanya, I cannot be the person always going Tanya, to conventions. Tanya, let me pause it for a second. So tell me about your goals. Okay, so our goals um, are to become self-sustaining. I would love to have a physical location because right now I'm kind of running things out of my apartment. And, you know, I want to be able to give people grants in addition to passes. You know, it'd be great to say not just here's a pass to, let's say, GameRx or C2E2 or something, but here's like at least enough for airfare or enough for a night in a hotel, even if it's not full expenses. Because giving people a pass with a week, going to San Francisco for a week ain't cheap. So I'd like to be able to do things in addition to just here's a pass, but here's a pass and a little bit of cash for you. Or, you know, we're we're looking at starting a mentorship with a very small cohort because there's a lot of people that, you know, could benefit from a mentor or looking for mentors. And people in the industry with a lot of advice to give. They got a lot of institutional knowledge. I shouldn't say institutional knowledge, um, but knowledge they can share with someone who is junior to the industry, new to the industry, about to graduate and is out there looking for that first job and, you know, and also the realities of what it is to work in the industry. And especially if you're a person of color looking to go in the games industry. So ideally it would be a physical location, um, more funding and, uh, get our mentorship program off the ground. That's really cool. I, um, I really hope that this highlights your business so that people can get in touch with you and help you do that. So that's really important for, to get our faces uh, you know, on these games, to get some games that incorporate black women. We need people like you in order for that to happen. So tell me about the people that are on your team. Um, well, I've got a board of directors and they are folks um, in the industry and adjacent to or have industry experience. So we've got um, someone who works at EA. We've got someone who is a industry vet of about 12 years um, and all that is on our about page because, of course, now that I have to think about it, I'm blanking on everyone's name. Um, we actually have Keisha Howard, who founded Sugar Gamers, who is also local to me. She just joined our board as director of community relations, so she's going to help us build some of those bridges, get you know, get us some connections, and, and talk to folks. And um, we've also got. Um, we, and we've got a friend helping us with legal stuff who is our legal liaison in terms of like, you know, just making sure we're on up and up and we get everything filed appropriately. And then we do have a, a CPA who's helping us with all our finances and keeping that all squared away. Okay. And so do you know of any conventions coming up that you are um, going to get people to or you're going to be a part of? Um, well, the day that we're recording this, I'll be on a panel of C2E2, which is in Chicago. And then I'm a guest of honor at GameRx Australia. So I'll actually be in Sydney, Australia next week. And um, we are looking into repeating our appearance at the Diversity Allowance at PAX West. Mm -hmm. And um, hopefully we can either send someone to FlameCon or or I can attend. It all depends. And I actually, um, they just announced that I will be an industry insider for Gen Con, 
which is the 50th year of the tabletop convention running. So I will be a guest there in the fall. That's really cool. That's dope as hell. Like, good luck to you with everything you do. Now, how can people get in touch with you? Um, So for I Need Diverse Games, our site is INeedDiverseGames.org. If you'd like to email us about anything, we have INDG at INeedDiverseGames.org. Or if you want to contact me directly, it's Tanya, T-A-N-Y-A, at INeedDiverseGames.org. Our Twitter's INeedDivGMS. We're also on Facebook, which is um, facebook.com backslash INeedDiverseGames. We're on Patreon, which is right now the main source for our funding, which is um, patreon.com backslash INeedDiverse, I'm sorry, INeedDivGMS, because the whole thing wouldn't fit. And if you email us at INDG at INeedDiverseGames, we can also take uh, one-time donations if Patreon's not your thing or you don't want to commit to a monthly pledge, but you can do so for as little as a dollar. And our podcast, um, early access to the podcast is one of the perks, as well as kind of early updates on things that we're doing. That's wonderful. So thank you so much for joining us. And tell your cat I said thank you for joining us as well. <laughs> I will. <laughs> All right. Take care. You too. So... To end this episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about Zoa Stigler. Now, if you're not familiar with her name, she is the young black woman who was a security guard in Chicago. And she was working late one night, about 2 a.m. And she had a gentleman who, I guess, looked a little sick. And so she approaches him to go check on him. His name is Matthew DeLeon. She calls 911, but the cops really don't stop. They just kind of roll by. And this gentleman starts to vomit. So, being, um, I don't know, a better person than LaToya, she leaves to get a bucket to clean it up. And when she comes back, he's now got three friends with him. And she asked them to leave, to move away from the front of the building because they weren't in an area that was really for gathering. They were just hanging out in the front of a building. And instead of complying, they start to argue with her. And then the man, Mr. Delion, approaches her, throws water in her face, and punches her. Now... The reason why I wanted to talk about Zoa Stigler is because this entire story is, of course, it's fucked up. Okay, let's be clear. But this entire story is a metaphor for what it is like to be a black woman. And I'll explain why. So this woman is just trying to do her job, right? And she's a a better employee than I am. Okay, so her job is to watch the building. That's what she's paid to do. She has on her uniform. If you watch the video and you can see that she's not overly aggressive. I'm angry that I even had to say that, but she's not doing anything other than her job. Okay. The guy, Mr. DeLeon, visibly drunk, um, loitering. So she asked him to do what any other security guard would tell you to do, which is move away, continue to walk. 
This is not a place for you to loiter. This man takes it upon himself to hit her. I'm not even going to talk about the fact that he threw water in her face as if that wasn't disrespectful enough. But he punches her and he hits her so hard that he breaks a bone in her nose and he breaks another bone under her eye. And she right now has to have surgery. Okay. The three people he was with don't do anything. They just walk away. I'm going to stop right there. How is that any different than what happens to us in real life? People see someone being disrespectful to one of us or um, being violent towards one of us or saying something out the side of their neck to one of us. But how many actually stand up for us? And as a black woman, you're supposed to be strong, right? You're supposed to be able to fight all your own battles, right? And a lot of times you can and you do. But sometimes the battle is bigger than you. And there's nothing you can do other than run away. And people watch it go down and they aren't concerned about you. These three people watch a grown man punch a woman in the face. They didn't go to her to see if she was okay. At no point did they care enough to check on her. They're worried about themselves. They're worried about their friend. But they never cared about her. And they were women. And <laughs> there was women within that, that, that group. At no point did they say anything to her. She walked away. Which is what we have to do often. To live, to survive. So let's go back. So he eventually turned himself in. And um, the person who represented him, and I think this is what makes me even more furious. The person that represented, represented him and spoke to the press about this man was someone named Don Valenti. Who, listen to what I'm telling you right now, is a well-known victims rights advocate well-known victims rights advocate who <laughs> had the audacity to say um he knew what he did was wrong i can't tell you how sorry he is <laughs> i said okay so this is another metaphor for how things go for black women so this woman is a victims rights advocate which means that the majority of people that you advocate for, advocate for, are women and children. Let's just keep it real, right? Of course, she could have people that she advocates for that are men, but I'm guessing, I think I'm pretty smart when I guess this, that a good portion of the people that she's advocating for are women and children, women and children. So what made this black woman any less of a woman for her to advocate for? Advocate for? Sorry, I can't speak that word for some reason. What made this woman any less of a person for you to care about? So this is the hill you want to die on. For this man who was the obvious aggressor. You, even though you said 
you don't condone what he did. The fact that you are up there being his representative is you condoning. It is you looking out for him. This woman did nothing but her job. So what's more important to you? The fact that this is a black woman and this is obviously a white man or a man that's not black. Is that more important to you than the fact that this woman just got beat in the face for no reason? I think I'm even more angry about that. And what does it take for people to see our humanity? This is a woman who is doing her job. That's it. That's all. And you have the audacity to get up and represent this man in front of the press as an advocate. What does that say about how you feel about her as a black woman or black women in general? Why would you stick your neck out for this man who was, who, who did nothing other than beat the shit out of somebody? I don't care how remorseful he is right now. It doesn't even matter to me. If you're an advocate, you should be, you should be taking care of the one who's the actual victim. It just puts a really bad taste in my mouth. And it is how black women are treated regularly. So even the same people who's supposed to have your back. The the very people that are supposed to be there for you. That you assume have your back. White women. Police officers. People that you think I could go to for protection. Are the very people that step on your neck. And this woman has to have surgery, y'all. Surgery, y'all. This dude hit her so hard. She broke bones under her eye. Come on, man. I it just the story makes me incredibly angry and even when they talked to Miss um, Stigler later on, she was just so, uh, you know, just like water off her back, like not letting it bother her. It just broke my heart. It makes me angry. It makes me want to cry. It makes me want to choke the shit out of, you know, everyone involved in this. I'm talking about, you know, Delion and Valenti. Just let us be, man. Let us be. Let her do what she was being paid to do. And when we're treated poorly, have our back. We have everyone else's. Why can't you have ours? Ugh. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Your support means everything to us. If you have feedback, something you want to discuss, or you own a business you like to promote, please contact us at bwsbusiness.com at mtrnetwork.net. Remember, you are beautiful, you're brilliant, and you're bad as fuck. Support another black woman today. Bye.